John chapter 11, verses 17 through 29 is what I'm going to be reading. And we're continuing to walk through Jesus' I am statements, where Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And each step of the way, Jesus is opening up for us almost as though he were a master jeweler with a raw diamond. He begins to carve out all of the facets of his person as the incarnate God. He he says, I am this, I am. I am the same God as that was there with Moses. I'm the same God that was present with the people walking them through the Red Sea. I'm the one who provided for them in the wilderness. I'm the one who conquered Jericho. I'm the one who was there and delivered them, who sent the prophets when they went wayward. And I am here now incarnate as these things and more. And as we read in just a moment, we're jumping into the middle of the chapter, so I want to kind of tell you where we are and what's happening. Uh, Jesus is coming... Well, before that, there's a man named Lazarus, and Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary. And you might know Martha and Mary. They are rather prominent women in the gospel story. And their brother Lazarus becomes sick. And someone goes to Jesus and says, the one whom you love, Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. And it says, so in verse 6, Jesus, when he heard this, he waited. He stayed two days longer. In the place where he was, before saying, let's go back to Judea, let's go back to Bethany, let's go back and find Lazarus. Lazarus ends up dying, and so Jesus is on his way to Bethany, the city of the town of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so our story jumps in when Jesus arrives in Bethany. After Lazarus has died, his friend Lazarus He has these encounters with Martha and then eventually Mary. And then eventually he has an encounter with Lazarus. But we'll get there in a moment. So let me, would you stand as I read verses 17 through 29, understanding that there's more to the narrative, but I don't want to make your legs wear out. Hear the word of God. So when Jesus came, He found that he had already been in the tomb four days. That's Lazarus. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. 
When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. That this is the appointed word for us today. We thank you, O Lord, that you are faithful that your word goes out and it does not come back void, but it accomplishes the, the purpose, your will for which you sent it. So God, would you grant today as we hear, would you grant us eyes to see, ears that are opened, hearts that are softened. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, today, would you speak for your glory? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The thing that I find most shocking about this passage, or maybe maybe not the most shocking, but often overlooked shocking element of this passage, is that when Jesus hears of Lazarus, the one whom he loves, he loves Lazarus. He cares about Lazarus. It's described as his friend. He loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And then in verse 6, so, therefore, as a result of his love, he waited. As a result of Jesus' love, he waits to go to Bethany. He does not go on their timetable, but he goes according to his plan. That the timing and the purpose of Jesus here is intentional, obviously, and it's not accidental. Jesus is intentionally waiting while his friend is sick. And it's because he knows what's on the other side. He knows that in his perfect timing, God will demonstrate a greater glory on the other side than even could happen if Jesus were to arrive in Bethany and heal Lazarus. So Jesus waits. And he waits in his perfect timing. And he arrives in Bethany in verse 17, as we read together, and he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. For four days... Lazarus' body had been sealed in behind the stone, waiting. Now, it's worth notice, I don't want to get too graphic, but it's worth noting that four days is a long time. And this is a long time and that they are not, this is not Egyptians. We are not embalming the body. They simply put some aromatic 
herbs and things on the body, and then they put the body in the tomb so that later on in the passage, when Jesus is ready to raise Lazarus from the dead, Martha, I believe it is, remarks saying, Lord, by now there will be a stench. That by this point, the process of what's called putrefaction had begun in Lazarus's body. Inside of his body had begun to decompose and fall apart and all of the natural things that happens to flesh when it dies. Four days is a long time for a body to lay cold. And yet, as Jesus comes and Martha arrives, and she says the same thing that Mary will say later. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing. I don't know if there there was a tone of accusation. Lord, if you had just got here, if you would have just been here, Maybe there was a tone of resignation. Lord, if if you'd have just been here, my brother would not have died. But in either case, the reality stands that their hope was resting in Christ. Both in accusation and in resignation, they were both of them hoping and knowing the reality of Jesus' power over sickness. What they might not have known is Jesus' immediate power over life and over death. Lord, if you had been here and Jesus says, your brother will rise again, verse 23. And Martha gives hope. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She looks ahead to the final resurrection of the living and the dead. Those who are saints and those who are died in their sins, they will be resurrected to meet either judgment or consolation before the Lord. She looks ahead and says, I know in the resurrection that she had fallen for this separation that we might sometimes fall for, separating the resurrection to come from Jesus himself. It's in verse 25 after Martha says, I know in the resurrection that's going to come, Lazarus will rise. Somehow, spiritually, and Jesus utters his famous reality. I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection. I am life. And I want you to get the meeting of the reality of death and the reality of Christ. Neither is glossed over, neither is lost. There is a real sense that Lazarus is dead. There's a real sense that his body's breaking down. There's a real sense that he hasn't just swooned. He hasn't just passed out. But he's been in a tomb for four days, stinking up the joint. That death is a reality in this fallen world. Pain and sickness and brokenness and hurt. And yet, there stands an even more enduring reality. 
I am the resurrection and the life. What Jesus comes to do is something altogether different than any other religious leader, any other philosophical movement. Many would try to delude you and say that suffering isn't actually a thing. You can think of some of the Eastern religions like Buddhism. That it's, not, it's, a, it's an a thing, it's not an actual thing, it's just a sort of a melting away into a grand unity. Or maybe it's the arrival through the process of reincarnation in Hinduism and finally arriving at nirvana. And both of those, there is a loss of individuality that gets swallowed up in the great cosmic oneness. Death isn't actually a thing. In order for there to be resurrection, there must be death. In order for there to be a rising from the dead, there has to be an actual falling into the grave. So Jesus does not come with a gospel of delusion. He does not come with a message, just pull the wool over your eyes until your final day. And that's exactly what some of these other religions that I mentioned, but that's exactly what the, the adversary Satan would have you do. He would have you pull the wool over your eyes saying, it's really not that bad. Death is not a thing or you don't have to think about it. You can entertain yourself out of the awareness of it. Just pull the wool over your eyes, make yourself feel a little better in the short term, and then it's all going to be over. But the message of Jesus meets us right in the reality of this world. He meets us right in the brokenness and in the despair. The tension and the the hurt that we feel. The losses that we have known. He says, I am the resurrection. And in fact, when he says, I am, that is is a present tense statement. Martha's looking ahead. And that's all well and good. But Jesus says, not only am I the resurrection tomorrow, but I'm the resurrection today. And I'm the resurrection yesterday. And I'm the life yesterday. That if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he is always the resurrection and the life. And so that every moment, if you were just go read your Old Testament, which feel free to do that this afternoon, all of them. All of it. 39 books. What else you got to do, right? Might take you a, f- a little while, but I believe in you. Maybe 30 minutes. You know, just kidding. But you read the Old Testament of God's <clears throat> interaction of saving, a, of creating the heavens and the earth and calling out Abraham and saving a people for his own name. And then sending prophet after prophet to say, come back home to me, my wayward people. You can think of the moments where someone literally dies. You think about the Shunammite woman's son. And the prophet Elisha who comes and lays upon him. And breath begins to come into the boy. I am the resurrection and the life. When the people of Israel are hemmed in. By Egypt before them, the Red Sea behind them, where will they go? 
Obliteration seems imminent. All of God's promises seem to be falling apart. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Even if you go further back to when there is just God. No time, no space. There's no raw materials that God's dealing with. It's just God. And he says, let there be light. I am the resurrection and the life. Dear ones, this is our Jesus and this is his good news that meets us right where we are. This gospel of who Jesus is meets you right where you are today. Meets us right where we are. And if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian this morning, you you are living like you're, you're straddling two worlds. You can't see. There's a big Buick pulpit in the way, but there, you, I'm surfing, right? It feels like you, you, got, you have one foot in your life, all the things in this world, and you, and you see the war upon war and other rumors of wars. You see, we've seen pandemics. We've seen sicknesses. We've seen sickness, cancer, death. There's fretful things that loom in the future, possibly. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe you, maybe you have like a tinfoil hat about aliens or about AI. Maybe there's a legitimate fear about nuclear war. And you live in this world that's beset. We're surrounded by it. The shadows are all around us. And it will do you no good today to pull the wool over your eyes and try to delude your way out of it. Dear one, you must have that other foot in the kingdom of God where you have a citizenship in heaven. But heaven, eternal life, is not just then. It's now. What Jesus offers you is not just then. It is then. It is maybe, you know, the day you close your eyes and you open them to the presence of the Lord, praise God. Or maybe the day when Jesus comes back and there's a new heavens and a new earth and all the things in this world, all the wrongs have been righted. All the injustices made just. And Christ is ruling and reigning and there's a new Jerusalem descending down from above. And we will walk on streets of gold beside the crystal sea, casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus. There is life to come. And it's because Jesus is today and forever will be the resurrection and the life. We can never disassociate our hope for heaven to come from the reality of who Jesus is. Because our eternal future rests upon who he is and what he has done. And that's one reason we will never outgrow. We will never be outglorified out of thanksgiving and gratitude. Because our justification being declared righteous before God is affected by him. Is accomplished by him. Our sanctification right now as we grow in grace and are being conformed to the image of Jesus. That is a gospel gift. Even though it goes like this. Even though there's a grind to it, we are continuing being shaped into the image of Jesus. And one day when we are finally, finally sin-free, new bodies, 
The the mortal has been clothed with the immortal. The perishable has been swallowed up by the imperishable. Even in glory. We'll say, thank you, Jesus. There will never be a day that our hope, our presence, our life will be disassociated and not dependent upon who Jesus is and what he has come to do. I am the resurrection and the life. You can see it in the Old Testament. We can see it in the New Testament. And my question to you is, can you see it in your life? Can you see it in your life? Maybe you haven't seen the physically dead rise. But dear one, if you are a child of God today, you have been reborn. You once were dead and now you are alive. You have seen resurrection. You have tasted of the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He is the resurrection who conquers death. That the last enemy to be defeated, the Apostle Paul says, is death. And Jesus has defeated death by his death. The righteous one who has suffered in your place has broken the hold of death. So you no longer have to fear it. Satan's greatest tool of condemnation upon you has been transformed by the power of Christ to become our greatest doorway into glory. That is the power of Jesus and the hope that we have today. He is the resurrection, but he is also the life. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. There is a sense in which though your body be in the ground, your soul is arrived in the presence of Jesus. To be apart from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Dear one, there is the the core of who you are. Saved and sanctified by Jesus Christ. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be triumphed over by darkness, by sin, by despair. By Satan himself. Jesus is the life. And he... Asks Martha the question, it must be asked to us as well, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that this is your Jesus, that he is the eternal son of God who has become, the word become flesh and dwelt among us? Do you believe in who he is, that he is the eternal, truly God and truly man? Do you believe in what he's done? That his death is accomplishing salvation for his people. Jesus has come to save his people. Do you believe the truth that you are dead in your sins and trespasses if it not for Christ? Do you believe that death can be conquered and it has been conquered in Christ alone? And if that's the case, of what will we be afraid She believes, she says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. One of the, one of the most robust confessions of who Jesus is in the Gospels is uttered here by Martha. And she goes and calls her sister Mary. That's where I ended our reading early, earlier. Mary comes. 
Let me begin reading in verse 32. I just want to draw our attention back. Verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead four days. In verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Mary comes and she is thronged with these, these, not worshipers, with these weepers, professional weepers and mourners who had gathered in the house in Bethany. And they see Mary exit quickly and they begin to follow her and following her, she arrives at Jesus. And so they arrive at Jesus. And so you get this image where all of a sudden Jesus is in a one-to-one conversation almost. And he is then enveloped by weeping. And it says he was deeply moved in his spirit. That word in the Greek is probably better translated that he was indignant. Almost angry. The same word is repeated in verse 38 when Jesus says again being deeply moved. Again being indignant. Why would Christ himself be indignant here? I think multiple reasons, but one profound one, I believe, is that he sees the one whom he loves gripped in the icy grip of death. This is the Jesus I am who said, who's present when there's let there be light. This is the Jesus that he is the word who was with God and was The word was God and with God that there was nothing that was created that wasn't created through him. That in him was life and the life was the light of men. That all life flows from the son of God. It all comes from him and he sees. He sees the adversary. He sees the thief. He sees that great adversary himself, Satan now, who has introduced death into his good, very good creation, gripping the one whom he loves. And Jesus is indignant. There's a compassion, yes, in Christ. There's a deep well of love beyond comparison and beyond knowledge. But dear ones, also know that in your Jesus He has embodied what the scripture says. The Lord is a warrior. And he comes here now to fell sin, death, 
And Satan, by the word of his mouth, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Wasn't that gentle, though? Lazarus, come forth. And by the almighty word of the sovereign Lord, death retreats, light dawns. And the man rises, walks out, still dressed like a dead man. Dear ones, this is what it takes for spiritually dead people to come to spiritual life. It takes the accomplished work of Christ, but it takes God changing them. There has to be a renewal of the inward person. A rebirth, a new birth, what Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. At the word of Christ, this is why we preach the gospel. This is why we open up the Bible and say, this is what God has said. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. If you have heard the gospel summons, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And you have called out to Christ, everyone who calls out to the Lord will be saved. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? Will you yield your life to him as though he is the resurrection and the life? Because you've seen it. We've seen the change that's happened in people. The power of God in changing a life. We've known the power of God that changes us. Lazarus, come forth. Dear lost one, come forth. You who have been serving yourself and following yourself, come forth. You who is bound in sin and darkness, come forth. The word of the gospel, the word of Christ. And when Lazarus, you have to imagine. Something has been happening. Something happens at the summons of Jesus. Dead ears open. Putrefacted guts. I don't know if, that's the, if, if you can use it that way. But where his body had been broken down and all of the distinctions between the organs lost. It's gross, I know. Just deal with it. But by the word of Christ, by the word of Christ, his ears are opened. The neurons begin to fire. His eyes open. His body is restored. And he walks out. And what I need to tell you is that that is a lesser miracle than what he does when a sinner comes to faith in Jesus. It's a lesser miracle because Lazarus died again. We have no indication that he was like Enoch or Elijah who was just caught up in the heaven. He died again and his body is out there somewhere waiting to the resurrection of the day. I have no doubt that he's at home with the Lord. But when you come alive and what happens that what the prophet Ezekiel talks about that the heart of stone is removed and you've been given a heart of flesh That is a bigger miracle. And we don't think it's a bigger miracle because we have undersold 
We've undersold the power of sin. We've undersold the depth of our despair and our darkness. And by underviewing, seeing sin as lesser than it actually is, we see Jesus for less than he actually is. There is victory. There's victory in Jesus. And no matter what's happening in your life today, no matter what's happening in your body today, no matter what's happening in your relationships, all the places where you can say, this is not right, and this is not right, and this is not right, and where despondency and despair and depression and darkness might seem like it's just ready to swallow you up, I want you to know that there is one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. He is the light. He is the life. And I lay him before you. Asking that you would trust him for the first time. That you would turn from your darkness. Or if you've been chasing yourself and you've fallen away, would you come back to him? Dear saint who has been walking with Jesus, take fresh courage. Take fresh courage to follow Christ. Wherever he leads, we must go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we surrender ourselves to you. We thank you for Christ. Who is the resurrection and the life. We thank you, O God, that if we are in Christ today, that it is his life. It is his life that has been given to us. Durable, everlasting, enduring, eternal life. Father, I ask that if there are any in the sound of my voice who have never surrendered to Jesus... They've never turned to him as Savior and Lord. Would you grant them grace today to turn and believe, trust in Jesus, to cast themselves solely and only upon him? Pray for your children that some who are beleaguered, who are confused, Would you grant them grace that they might turn their eyes upward and look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That fresh joy would fill them, fresh gratitude for what Christ is and what he has done. That you would renew them even in these days, even in this season in which they're in, would you renew them? Lord, would you receive all glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.